Hi, I'm Keegan. Welcome back to GM Talks. I'm once again joined with my lovely assistant, Brennan. And you know we're both lovely because we refuse to uh, show our faces. And we are joined with, uh, by, Neil, by Neil Price. Neil is the lead developer for Scion Demigod with the Onyx Path Publishing Group. And I just wanted to welcome Neil to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So what got you into Scion in the first place? Uh, did you play first a lot of first edition? Oh, I did. Yeah, I, I purchased the book uh, off a still fairly new at the time drive through RPG. Um, the first day it came out, I was super excited to get the PDF. And I later bought the, uh, the, the core book. I was very excited by the whole concept. And at first, I wasn't entirely sure what it was. I thought that perhaps it was another game in the world of darkness, which I was a huge fan of. Uh, but instead, it turned out to be uh, its own thing. And I definitely loved the line over the years. And um, when I started getting into freelancing, I met Joseph Carricker, who is a developer over at Green Ronin. But at the time, he was freelancing for Onyx Path. And he uh, was the lead developer of Scion just before me. And he and I got to talking and talking a lot. And I schmoozed quite a lot at the Gen Con I met him at. And um, that's how I came to be part of the line. And, you know, unfortunately, Joe had to bow out before the production of the first core books. So for the last uh, six years or so, I have been the lead developer. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, I got into Scion. I saw copies at my local friendly game store and uh, for first edition and... It was pitched to me as uh, Exalted Modern, essentially, which is why I kind of jumped on it initially. Yeah, it's how, yeah, I, 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 a lot of people were pitched on it that way as well. And I was a big Exalted fan, still am. Oh, yeah. Oh, we, we could talk then. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about uh, some of the changes that have happened in the uh, Scion setting, because the Scions in second edition are far more visible to humanity than they are at least from my recollection than they are in first edition correct uh that's true i will note that um the first edition really doesn't get into it there's a sort of implied masquerade in hero and then after hero it's it's not really discussed at all you know scion first edition very famously doesn't really have a setting chapter it's just our world but the gods are real and that's that's cool but you know what happens when your your burgeoning legend causes effects of fame? What happens if you say I'm the child of a god and you can kind of back that up? So um, what I wanted to do was create a setting where such feats would be accepted, but wouldn't break the world. So I, I already had an already broken masquerade, and a lot of people thought that it was a little weird. And it is the biggest ask that we have. Of people to get into the game it's the biggest suspension of disbelief but i will say that all around the world there are people who feel the touch of the divine in their daily lives um whether it's um jesus christ whether it's um uh the greek gods whether it's the norse gods whether you're a hindu there are a billion hindus on the planet um you know these people accept the divine as part of their lives no matter what so i didn't think it was that much of a stretch to basically say yes you can you can accept the divine and even the supernatural as part of your life 
uh, without it disrupting it too much. You might have a f- an encounter with a frost giant, but your spreadsheets still do on your boss's desk, desk by the next morning, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's mm. fair. Yeah, and I had, a, I had a discussion actually on our Facebook page with someone asking how you would change history and things like that. And one of my examples was is because you, uh, you explicitly call out that all myths are true. And so I took that a step further for like American mythology, right? So the founding fathers were essentially these origin or maybe even hero level scions that founded the country and the actual history happened at the same time. There's a very good supplement on the uh, story path nexus right now about the uh, the many mantles of George Washington, written by one of our science second edition writers, Pablo uh, Vasquez, and um, it Washington is actually worshipped around the world in in different forms. Um, and we thought, well, it would be interesting if we actually incorporated him as a mantle. Okay, that's pretty cool, actually. That's I'll have to check that out uh, after this. Is so, there any part of Zion that uh? Uh, for exi- for example, Washington. Are there uh, more modern figures that are used as "quote unquote" gods, or is there a definite barrier? I'm sorry. Say that one more time. Um, for for example, are there in Scion are there examples of "quote unquote" gods um, uh, that are, come up to even modern day, or is there a definite barrier? For example, Washington's mantle. Oh no 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 no. Um... There are gods who could be in the modern day, and in fact, that is your your player characters. Yeah, to answer your question, um, there are many gods in the modern day, and there, are, um, for the most part, the the scions you play are the children of the ancient gods who are still active in the modern day. They have they have modernized along with humanity. Um, there aren't anything like you might see in American gods, like gods of media or gods of industry or all that, because the concepts of all the ancient gods still fit around there. And we have some fairly recent pantheons. Like we, we covered the Loa in the Scion Companion, which you know really only go about three to 400 years back or so. And they're, they're one of the more recent pantheons that we involve, but we could involve slightly more um, recent pantheons in future books. And of course, the whole part of, point of Scion is that you can ascend to become a god. And you can play a scion of your ascended player character if you want to. Yeah, okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I just... Uh, so I guess my next question is, is that what kind of research goes into presenting all these sort of pantheons to the masses since uh, I know you bring it up briefly uh, regarding the Hindu gods that the, these ones are still very actively worshipped and level of respect is required so what kind of research goes in to make sure that you bring that respect to the table well for pantheons especially um we first try to find people who are experts in the pantheons and we also try to find people who are culturally of the of the type of people who worship those pantheons Um, a lot of writers of color a lot of marginalized writers a lot of foreign writers um and so then we find them, and hopefully that they have. Hopefully they have a good link into myth, or they have a good ability to research those sorts of things. And then uh, we let them go. We wind them up and let them go. And 
along the way, I try to do my best to get sources for my Scion writers. I try to help them with what they can with research. Um, and part of it is a matter of trust, but we do have several members on the team who are conversant in various different world mythologies. And that helps immensely. At the end of the day, we are, we're trying to make an entertaining game. And what I like to say is that there's a level of fictionality in the game itself. Um, the gods that you're playing the children of aren't the actual gods in real life. Um, you're playing a fictionalized representation of them. Um, but it's still important to treat that with an enormous amount of respect because these are people's cultures and people's religions that we're talking about. Even if those religions aren't actively worshipped now, they were once. And that's, you know, th that's important to pay respect to. Um, I like to say that you don't have to be, you don't have to be a believer to work on Scion. We, we have several atheist writers, um, but I do expect everyone to have a sense of reverence when they're talking about the divine, because that is very important to uh, maintain as a as a sense throughout the line that you're not stupid for believing in these gods, and there is there is divinity there in them. So I guess we'll go into some of the uh, the GMing aspects of it. Uh, how do you like to start off your your own Scion games if you're running it for a group of uh, your friends? Oh, I always like to start my games off uh, in medias res. I like to start games off in the middle of the action. And then I take a step back afterwards and say, okay, how did everyone get here? I generally tend to put a lot of emphasis on player agency, and that sort of came out in the design of Scion as well. I like it when players are all kind of jamming at the table and riffing off one another and coming up with cool scenes and interjecting cool things with each character. Um, that's really the best way to keep things involved at the table. I have ADD myself, and I get very easily distracted in the game if a GM is just focusing on one player or another. And for better or for worse, that sort of affected my GM style because I can bounce back and forth from players very easily but I try to keep everyone involved. Otherwise, they're just going to start playing on their phones, and that's death for a game. <laughs> that's fair. Um, a little trick I've been using for some of my other games is if the party decides to split for whatever reason as the game evolves, is I have a couple backup NPC characters that are in the area they're going and going, you're playing these people now. Yeah, absolutely. There's actually a couple... Um, there's a couple ways we do that in Scion, and a couple ways uh, you can you can absolutely work that into your Scion game, especially at a demigod level. In fact, one of the Kickstarter stretch goals right now is how to handle troop play, where you're focusing on one character at a time, and then playing a satellite of characters around that one character. Okay. So, I'm sure you might be biased, but currently, what is your favorite level of Scion uh, to play as, or to run for? Origin, Hero, or Demigod? Oh, um, <laughs> running Hero is much easier than running Demigod, but um, I love Demigod, and I love the sort of impetus behind it. We, we require players and story guides to sort of sit down and decide what the mythic path of the scions going to be once they become a demigod and that lends itself to a very tight character arc that is already plotted out for the story guide it's just a matter of you know going going down through the events and seeing if the scion succeeds or fails in them 
Okay. And yeah, and when they get to the end, that is, in theory, it's the end of the game. Uh, in, in setting, you have a number of milestones you need to hit to become a god. Um, and out of setting, we, we systematize those, but if you want to put off doing one of them so you can keep playing around at the demigod level longer, that's fine. But the in-character motivation is definitely driving you towards being a god and driving you towards achieving your divinity. And the you know the tagline is, you, you've told fate that you're going to be a god um, and you're going to become a god or you're going to die trying. Okay. Uh, one of the things, uh, just looking over the little playtest booklet you had sent me, is uh, one of the things I think that's really kind of cool for Demigod, and it's something I actually really like as a storyteller. Uh, my players may be ambivalent towards it uh, from the playing side, depending. But the uh, the catastrophic successes and failures using your yes. divine dice uh, to power your purviews. Uh, could you go a little more into detail about that? Sure. So the divinity dice um, replace your dice pool as you're playing a little bit and as you're using your powers more. And they tend to make things skew wildly out of proportion to what um, to what you're attempting, either for good or for ill. We, we give the option for players to supernaturally supercharge any action with their pure divine power and by what's called flooding the pool. And um, catastrophic successes happen when a player succeeds. Uh, it succeeds beyond the character's wildest dreams, granting more than what they wished for a lot of times. Instead of swaying a town, you accidentally sway a nation. Um, instead of convincing someone to open a door for you, you convince them to fall in love with you. Mortal failures cause your divine nature to falter. And it causes you to lose control of your divine powers. So your purviews sort of leak out of you and cause a, a wild chain reaction in there. If you have purviews of fire, it'll you know, probably set something on fire. Fertility, it'll cause uh, rot and overgrowth in a building or something. Okay. Just, yeah, just, it. it they are... They're used to super the, the divinity eyes are used to supercharge actions, but um, it it could either go very very well for you or very very poorly for you. And I kind of like that uh, high risk high reward sort of uh, play style. So I think that's a really cool mechanic, and that that was one of the things that initially like drew my eye just scanning over the document. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's it's one of our favorite favorite things. So I know that in future supplements, you're going to have things like the Cthulhu mythos showing up. So I guess the question is, is that are you going to ever, are you, are you guys ever thinking about creating a, a toolkit or something like that for storytellers or players for fictional pantheons because enough people have decided to believe in it or what we would consider fictional now, but you know, became real religions so there's two parts to your question. Uh, number one is that Scion doesn't uh, work on the idea that belief makes the gods real. The gods don't need belief per se. Um, and all of the mythic events that form their pantheons occurred at some point or another. Um, you know, in some way or another. It may not have happened exactly as the myths say, but it 
something happened to generate that event. And it had to be a scion doing it. There has to be a seed of divinity at the core of that myth for it actually to gain traction. If a lot of people believe or decide to worship, I don't know, a superhero or something, a fictional superhero, um, that superhero wouldn't suddenly become real. However, a scion could try to play into the myths and the tropes of that superhero and eventually become much like them and gain certain powers that are akin to that. Um, okay. But to answer your question about fictional pantheons, um, we actually have an entire chapter in the Scion Hero Companion about how to make your own pantheons, whether they are new pantheons in the world, whether they are fictional pantheons that you would like to adapt for your own games. We even give you an example of the Atlanteans from 1st Edition Scion redone in the Scion 2nd Edition lens as if they were a fictional pantheon being generated. And we take apart the Atlanteans a lot and we break them down into their, their component parts so you understand how a pantheon works. Okay, very cool. I guess uh, bad news for my players then because Stormbringer's showing up in a future Scion game then. So, so. are there, there are two, two editions of Scion out now? Yes. Yes. First okay. edition and second edition. Gotcha. Uh, how much work approximately has it taken you to come out with sec second edition versus first edition? Uh, a lot of work. Uh, we're definitely placing a much bigger emphasis on uh, research and playtesting. Uh, the system itself is a little more complex, but it definitely works a lot better under the hood. And we are trying to make the line as jam-packed as we possibly can. More to the point... Um, First edition was only ever envisioned to be three books, Hero, Demigod, and God, and that was it. Now, it later got a Scion Companion, a full-size supplement. It later got Ragnarok, which was a full-size Norse supplement. And it got a number of smaller supplements coming along with it. Uh, but it, it, was, it was really never meant to expand beyond the three books, and that very tightly bounded the world. In Scion 2nd Edition, we envisioned this as a full line of RPG products. And that's what we have very much so in the works right now. A sweet, uh, series of adventures, a series of supplements, many other things. So really, we have to make the world much bigger. And the world-building challenge is an order of magnitude greater because it's not just a self-contained series of three books. And I, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not bashing the previous edition by any means. Um, I loved it. I played it. But I do note that we have to put a lot more emphasis on designing the world to be open-ended rather than closed. Uh, that dovetails nicely into my next question then, which is I've noticed that the Titans are featured a little less prominently in Hero 2nd Edition than they are in 1st Edition. So was that a conscious decision to help uh, create conflicts beyond the God-Titan conflicts for Science 2nd Edition? Yes, it absolutely was. I find that um, a lot of the most enduring conflicts in Scion, especially in my own games, especially in games as I spoke to others over the years, was that it wasn't so much the, the Titan War uh, as the sort of shades of gray of a divine alliance against the Titans that people really enjoyed playing with. And the Titans were great as just sort of evil adversaries, but they were very one-note in a lot of ways. 
And I wanted to make the world a lot bigger. I wanted to make the world a lot murkier. And I wanted to acknowledge that in in mythology, you will sometimes have characters who are considered monstrous or titanic, who are actually quite friendly to the rest of the gods. Um, a very good example is Helios, who is, by all rights, a titan. He is officially of the titan generation. But he lives on Olympus with, with the Olympian gods, and they're pretty cool with him being there. And he's friendly, but he's not very good for mortals to be around because he's the sun. And he doesn't understand why all the humans he's speaking to keep bursting into flame. But he's perfectly friendly. <laughs> the distance laughing. <laughs> um, is that also then why you added uh, the primordials into the second edition? And are the primordials, I don't know if you can speak to this, but if primordials will feature more heavily in future supplements in second edition since they, they get a blurb but that blurb seemed to be there to generate a lot of ideas uh basically the lens that crosses the world to create events yes we're definitely we're definitely going to get into the nature of primordials a lot more in the god supplement which will be after demigod of course but it's hot on the heels and I think um, a big representation of them are simply those those deities who created the world or represent massive aspects of the world, but never really feature in mythology. Like in Greek mythology, uh, you know, you have you have uh, Nyx and you have um, you know big aspects of the sky and whatnot, but they never really get a lot of focus in the myths. Not like Zeus, not like Apollo, not like Artemis or Athena. So that's what primordials are. They're sort of off to the side. But when you're a god, you're going to interact with that strata and, and those beings a lot more often than you will as a hero, simply because they're not focused on Earth and they're not focused on the heroes of the world. Okay. So uh, then another uh, GMing question for you then is uh, what kind of storylines uh whether it be intrigue or tied to certain titans or if you have a preference for your own games regarding a certain pantheon what kind of things draw you and inspire you to write and create your own adventures and what kind of uh tropes do you personally like to rely on when running scion i love uh tropes of hidden knowledge or betrayal i never do it without the the full player buy-on of course um being transparent to my players is very important to me i often sit my players down and speak to them about what they would like to see for the character about future storylines and i always i always do a, a, a lines and veils i do check-ins and i also do a debriefing session at the end of each session we just, where we spend the last 10 to 15 minutes or so of the time we have allotted to it, just talking about the session and how things went and how they felt things could be better for next time. So that kind of constant feedback really helps me as a GM. But I love intrigue stories. I really do. Um, to me, they have to be punctuated with with big action scenes. Um, but I love the slow burn of plots going in the background until something explodes. And oh. it's those explosions that I really love. I, I really love and I really love working in the games. Okay. Uh, Brennan, you got anything? I did have one wondering specifically with Scion, because being exalted or exalted adjacent, it has a, a, a component that I don't understand fully is uh, do you encounter power creep 
uh, as definitively as other systems? And if so, how do you deal with it? So um, we don't, actually. Not so much. Um, we built Scion 2nd Edition, and we, we've built other games like Trinity with the idea of a scaling mechanism going in there. Um, so each tier of play operates on a different level of scale for the most part. And we definitely try to make sure that um, we definitely try to make sure that we're adhering to the level of scale that we've chosen, and that we're not significantly outclassing any anyone else. I mean, that said, when you're at the demigod level, yes, you're going to outclass heroes, and gods will outclass most demigods, um, but not as much as you might think. Um, and a sufficiently prepared and powerful demigod can kill a minor god. Absolutely. Um, if you want to, if you want to play a God of War game, you definitely can. Um, but in terms of power creep, no, we we have everything locked down to a specific set of mechanics. Things are uh, mostly mechanically locked, and unlike Exalted, we don't have to juggle thousands of charms around each that might have slightly better effects than some other charm. That was written in three different books, and you know the writer just simply forgot when they were making this new charm, which has happened. Um, so uh, yeah, no um, power creep. We don't really encounter it too much in Scion, not so far at least. We'll see if that changes when we get to God. Splendid. I can show you uh, at some point, Brennan, after this, uh, what scale and stuff looks like uh, when you're here in a couple weekends. Yeah. Uh, so, moving from DMing real quick, then, when you play in Scion, what are some of the tropes and uh, character types that you like to fall back on or really enjoy implementing when you get to play? I really love jack-of-all-trades characters, and I'm actually pretty happy that Scion lets me play those types of, those types of folks. The story path system kind of pushes you towards specialized, but if you want to be a dedicated generalist, you absolutely can. Um, some of my favorite characters have been Scions of uh, Lou, the Irish god of excellence. Um, Lou is uh, basically the second best god at everything. Um, there's a, a whole really neat story about how he was brought into the Tuatha Dé Danann because he showed up at the, the gates... And he's like, well, hey, I can smith. And they're like, oh, we've already got a smith. And he's like, well, hey, I can be a warrior. And they're like, we've got a warrior. And they basically go through a, a dozen different jobs. And you know, he says, well, I can do this thing. And they're like, well, we've already got someone who does that. And at the end, he goes, well, do you have anyone who can do all of those things? And they were like, no. So they let him in. <laughs> that's, that's actually pretty great. Uh. But then I, and that actually ends up with a lot of my characters. I end up playing a sort of... Um, uh, a sort of lancer or or beta role to another character's alpha. I it not so much a support class as an off tank for the whole group. Okay. Lancer's uh, a lot. That sounds really enticing. Yeah. Um I don't know about yourself, but every time I've only run Scion uh twice now, or second edition at least. And I get kind of superhero-y with it, is uh, something I found. I think that's just probably my preferred play style. Uh, but if someone didn't want to go superhero-y with it, but they found that they that's what they kind of gravitated towards just by mistake, how what are some good tips that you'd have to make it feel more uh, mythic? So 
Um, we do push it. We do push it towards the mythic and a lot of the things you do by by having to fulfill deeds. Um, but I, you know, I love with you. There is a super heroic aspect to a lot of what you're doing, and I, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to blow anyone's minds by saying that uh, the other story path game we had, Aberrant, which is a superhero game. Is some of those aberrant rules, once they were playtested and cleaned up, found their way into Demigod. And they're they're pretty great. Um, but in, in the Sign Companion, which is something I mentioned earlier, we have a whole list of uh, what are called myth levels and mythic dials that you can dial up and down. And one of the things you can do is sort of power up or down the gonzo power level of the setting itself. And if you want to, you could play a very subtle game where the gods barely have any power at all and you're mostly capable of minor tricks, but you're still bound by fate. Um, and you could turn it up to a sort of mid-level where there is a sort of full masquerade uh, and things are secretive, but it's not all super heroic, high-flying powers all the time. Um, one of the other ways you can definitely do that is to venture into Terra Incognita, uh, Terra Incognita are mythic places in the world that are attached to the world, but may not necessarily be on any map. If you sail off the coast of Ireland in the right way, you can come to some of the famous ir uh, uh, islands in Irish mythology. If you sail in the Mediterranean the, the right way, knowing the right incantations, you, you can reach Atlantis. Um and there are many, many, many such places in the world where there are hidden realms tucked away into the nooks and crannies that are bigger on the inside than you they have any right to be. So a lot of those places, the mythic is, is not just accepted. It's a part of daily life. And going there makes you feel like you're in another world, albeit one that's attached to this one. So that's really what we push a lot of people to do in Demigod is to go venture into more of the Terra Incognita. What's uh, beyond the core books, obviously, what sort of reading material would you suggest or do you read to get you excited about running Scion and you just use as inspiration or your go-tos? Well, first edition Scion's go-to was American Gods. That was American Gods was sort of all throughout Scion itself. But I think that they kind of lost the... I think they kind of lost sight of it when they decided to, to use Exalted System for it. Because Exalted, you know, I'm sure you guys have played Exalted, and it, it is very heavy and very flashy. And it didn't exactly jive with the the gods are still kind of secret uh, thing that Scion 1st Edition had. So for 2nd Edition, the big inspiration I looked to was the comic series The Wicked and the Divine by Kieran Gillen, uh, where um, every... 90-so-odd years, several gods are reincarnated on Earth and have their full divine powers. And after two years, they all die. Um, but for those two years, they are rock stars and literal gods on, on the planet. And so it's a really interesting way to see how society warps around them, to see what kind of things people love and people see about them. Um, and... You know, a lot of them are not too dissimilar from, you know, multimedia faith rallies that are held today. It's just that they have a star and the faith rallies really kind of don't. So <laughs> um, it's just a very interesting way to look at it that's not actually as far from our world as we might think. Okay. 
What is your 100% absolute favorite thing about this new edition of Scion? <laughs> um, you know, I'm going to get a little cheesy and say the writers. Uh, the team Scion has really come together with a big sense of camaraderie, and there's uh, a Slack with nearly 70 members in it right now, but um, a lot of us are very friendly with one another and very excited about mythology. And it's just been wonderful to share it, that and that enthusiasm with the fans as well and really come together. But to not be cheesy and to talk about the game itself, um, I really love the freeform aspect of miracles and how you can um, craft wondrous marvels out of a part of reality that that is partially you. That's what purviews are in Scion. It is uh, purview is an aspect of the world. Uh, it could be fire, it could be death, it could be fertility. And as you ascend from being a scion into a demigod, you actually become that element of the world until it's indistinguishable from you. Now, it's also indistinguishable from a lot of other gods, but let's not get too deep into the metaphysical weeds here. Um, I like that, and I like the freeform aspects that we allow players to use. Okay. Mm. I like that. I That's see, very I, cool. I always, I always see a lot of player creativity when they're using marvels, and it's wonderful to see. Oh, yeah. I love it when players use their powers in just bizarre ways I would have never thought of in a million years. Oh, absolutely. And I, I love them seeing them use things in an abstract way. Um, uh, for example, a, uh, a scion of fire um, using his purview to summon the fire department or set off every fire alarm in an apartment building. Um, it's just really interesting because you think about it, you're like, you know, I guess a god of fire would be able to do those sorts of things. It is, it is tangentially related to fire itself, isn't it? Yeah, I guess I. I don't know if that it, with the fire department one. I think, I think you'd have to get into some sort of deific bureaucracy as like a god of waters. Like, hey, 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 back off! <laughs> I get personally. <laughs> like, you wouldn't expect a god of fire to call the fire department. It, it's kind of like a self-defeating thing, but for the good rather than for the bad. Hopefully, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Uh, you know, I would um uh what would you tell to people who have never played um Scion before or who had only played uh specific uh tabletops? What would uh, what would bring them into this? Uh Scion is very open-ended and it relies a lot on you thinking your way through the story and thinking about what a mythic story is and the kind of mythic story you want to tell. And I sincerely hope that we get to a point with Scion where there can be any person of any color, of, of any um, various capability looking at Scion and seeing themselves in the game itself. Like we have a, a pretty extensive section in Demigod um, up right now uh, that talks about disability and and the divine and how there are many 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 gods who are uh disabled in some way or are missing limbs or are missing eyes or this or that and you know 
in a world that's increasingly going towards prosthetics and bionics, what does it mean to be like that? It is, it is you are divine in a, in a way. It's like the lack of a limb is divine, almost. Um, so it's just a very interesting discussion of that. But I've heard a lot of disabled players come up, like, come up to me and just, you know, thank, thank me for writing that section. And it's... Uh, I didn't write it. Uh, let, let, let me clarify that. But just thank me that the section's in the book, and I'm very glad for them. Very cool. Yeah, we're very we're very much on inclusion here on the channel and here on the Facebook. Uh, no, I, I'm very glad that something like that is included in the book, and it's good to see. It's the same reason that uh, I pushed legend lore with a lot of people for very much the same reasons. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, Legend Lore looks like a blast. I pledge, I pledge for that. I can't wait to play it. Yeah, Stephen Devon's a, a great designer. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking very much forward to it. Though, um, because I am more of a nerd than I have any real right to be, uh, we're gonna have if when I play Legend Lore, they're gonna show up as themselves, and there's gonna be a unicorn there named Uni who's gonna make that god awful noise of. Argh! Like the old cartoon show. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think, because I, I have a few mechanical questions, but uh, not super in-depth. But I really like the uh, the creative freedom when it comes to creating relics in Scion. And I was wondering what some of your favorite kind of relics you've either created for your own games or uh, that your your players have come up with. I really like relics that blend the ancient and the modern in some way. And on some level, that's something like Giant's Bane, for example, like Eric Donner's uh, weapon, which has a small fragment of Mjolnir, uh, Thor's hammer, inside the hammer of the revolver, basically. So it you know, it adds a bit of, a bit of mystical energy to it. But I really like the things that take advantage of the setting and take advantage of, of modern technology. My favorite relic probably uh was in the original scion companion and i made sure it was in scion second edition but it's called i yaller uh g-a-l-l-e-r um and that uh i'm misspelling that terribly but um it, it's a reference to the yaller horn which is the horn that sounds ragnarok and oh. it is uh, a cell phone that type that um that that bounces off a cell tower built in uh built built in Valhalla by dwarves basically so they, they they dragged a cell tower all the way to Valhalla and set it up and so you can make a call from virtually anywhere in the world or anywhere in any of the underworlds or overworlds if you're in a Terran incognita you can call someone <laughs> that's pretty cool yeah the one I came up with for the Gen Con game earlier this year was uh the blade of Ecclesius, where it was the Norse gods traded for a fragment of Ecclesius's staff and created one of those uh, military combat knives that you can unscrew and medical supplies come out. So it gave you enhancements on damage and healing. Oh, that's great. That's a great concept. I like it a lot. I do like the interconnectedness of gods, and I really, really think that was a great addition to the setting because the gods did feel kind of siloed in first edition. 
Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think making the gods feel a little more um, included in the setting and making th- them making them make sure they. Uh, like I said before, um, one of the major goals I had with this edition was to open it up and really make everything um, take everything out of its silos and mix everything together. And that did mean a, a decrease on the focus of the Titans, uh, for example, as as ultimate baddies. But um, I think we made up for it in the fact that that you know you can have inter pantheon rivalries, you can have intra pantheon rivalries. And the gods really feel like a presence in people's lives. Yeah, no, you absolutely succeeded on that front, so. <laughs> uh, do you have any more questions there, Brennan? I think I'm all set on questions. No, okay. no questions about Exalted while we're here? Uh, well, if we, well, if you want to lose focus on Scion, my boy, I am ready. <laughs> you, I, uh, <laughs> you and Keegan can probably go on Exalted per two or three days <laughs> i'm, I'm yeah, just missing from keegan's side <laughs> yeah when i'm when i'm not developing scion demigod i'm also just uh developing exalted essence edition for onyx bath with uh my co-devs monica specka and uh, dixie cochran oh that's cool no i i'm interested in uh essences uh because i haven't touched third edition exalted yet i did a ton of second edition uh, where I had I had uh, campaigns that lasted like four and a half years, sort of like <laughs> epics. And so part of the reason I haven't touched Exalted yet is uh, every time I've picked up an Exalted game, uh, the game's length is at a minimum a year and a half, and I wanted to try and like shotgun through the rest of my collection at least of games. <laughs> so it's been on the back burner. But, oh, I am so ready to try out 3rd Edition. Uh, I am ready to dive in. And it's weird because, for me, I don't typically like crunchy games, yet Exalted 2nd Edition and even Exalted 3rd Edition, I'm like, yeah, give me that gravel. I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) You're braver than I. So I um I, I think Essence Edition we are trying to make it to be the best entrance people can make into Exalted period. You know, I've been in the fandom for god almost 20 years at this point since since 2001 when Exalted first edition came out and ever since then people have been asking for a streamlined Exalted that still felt like Exalted and no one's really hit on the, the the secret sauce just yet. There's been a lot of really valiant attempts, a lot of really awesome games that came out of that. But we just decided to finally just do it. So Exalted Essence Edition, what what is the core of Exalted? What is the essence of it? And hopefully it'll be a lot easier for new players who've never used Exalted before to really get into this big, awesome game. No, that's cool. I, I'd heard, I, I may have misheard when I listened to a Twitch stream uh, during the Onyx path uh con was uh that in essence the different exalted types are going to be closer in power level is that is there any truth to that or am i just crazy yeah no 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 that that's absolutely true we wanted to make sure that the um that you could have a mixed party of exalts uh we weren't going to give you just a uh a huge smorgasbord of player options and then just say oh well one of you can um one of you can can play a you you can all play solars or dragon blooded or lunars or whatever you can't mix and match 
we didn't want that, but we also didn't want the dragon blood in the solar game to feel depowered or deprotagonized or left out. Mm-hmm. So each ex- exalt type has a specific focus that I think really comes out in play, and they all shine very well. Okay. And uh, as I can convince you to pick up uh, Essence Edition and play that before three, maybe. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I, I'd be happy to come on and talk about Essence more at length um, if you want to bring my, my co-devs on for an interview sometime in the future. Oh, I'd absolutely love that. That'd um, be cool as well. Yeah, because I, uh, I actually kind of like the power differences. That's just a personal flavor of mine, and how I try and do it is uh, in lore differences, basically. Like, So you have a dragon blooded with solars, and they're the only ones who can actually use like their... Uh, the peripheral pools of essence in public places. Yes, absolutely. And then that's still in the game. Yeah. So, no, I'd be very curious about it. Uh, do you have it? So I guess we'll ask then, since we're kind of famous, or I guess internet famous for 800 followers and 94 now YouTube subscribers, uh, <laughs> is um, our World of Darkness stuff. What would you say your favorite uh, new and old World of Darkness uh, lines are? Uh, my favorite World of Darkness line is probably Wraith. Vampire's a very close second, but probably Wraith. Um, and my favorite Chronicles of Darkness game, I would have to say Promethean. So I, I, you know, I had the good fortune to write on Vampire. I had the good fortune to write on Wraith. And I had the good fortune to write on on uh, Promethean, and I like games that, you know, I, I I've run my share of very long games, and I've run my share of games that lasted years, but one of the things I really love is having a set story arc that you can play and get to the end of, and Promethean, kind of like Demigod, which is where I I actually got the idea from. Um, and asked my writer to to create it for me, is that you plot out a very tight character arc that ends with your character becoming human. And you have to succeed or fail at each step of the process. And there are step backs and this and that. And that's the nature of the game. But that's a sort of sub-game that you're going to the overarching story. And I really like that. I really like each character having their own private arc. Oh, that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, we do have one last canned question that we always ask everyone who comes on to the show. And I'll give you as much time as you need to think about it. But my curiosity is, is if people, resources, etc., was not an op- was not a uh, hurdle in the slightest, what would the dream campaign of any game look like to you to run? <laughs> um... Well, as as a big a fan of as I am of the Great Pendragon campaign, and and running it through there, I would ro- love to run a Scion game that goes from origin to god, and hits each tier along the way, and really maybe tells a story a, lo- a lot like Arthurian legend, and maybe even referencing some of the Arthurian myths because I love them so much. Um, so basically, not unlike the Great Pendragon campaign, but... <laughs> <laughs> slightly different system, slightly different focus. Yep. No, that makes perfect sense to me. Neil, thank you so much for coming on to the show. 
Hey, thank you guys so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, Neil, to plug yourself. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Burnt Neil, B-U-R-N-T-N-E-A-L-L, on the on Twitter. Um, and you can find me just answering questions on the Onyx Path uh, Demigod Kickstarter. Perfect. So I'm Keegan, and uh, that's Brennan. We're a bunch of gamers, and you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, but you'll never find me on Twitter. I find it a cesspool. Bye. <laughs>